What's going on, everybody? Kieran Dooley back again for episode four of Premier League Update. Uh, today's episode name is It's Getting Close, and that's in relation to the title race. Um, today, we're going to be oriented strictly on the Premier League, just like last week's episode. Um, there's just a lot of stuff going on in the Premier League that uh, we just can't miss out on. Um, next week's episode, episode five, I will be able to dive back into the Europa League and Champions League catch up on the round of 16 leg two results and round of eight first leg results for each tournament um, thank you guys for tuning in and enjoy the show on monday march 8th um, west ham hosted leeds united um, uh, first first half is when the game was decided west ham went up and the 21st minute through a jesse lingard goal um, and then Leeds just kept on giving up weak, weak chances down the middle of the field and down the right wing where Jesse Lingard plays. Um, and then Craig Dawson put them up in the 28th minute to go 2-0 up on Leeds. Um, as far as the stats go, man, Leeds held the biggest part of the possession at uh, 66% and um, West Ham with 34%. West Ham had five shots on target to Leeds two, but the shots were 16 to 17 in Leeds favor and then touches Leeds favored again, 721 to 458. Passes again favored, 528 to 276. Uh, 19 tackles to 14 for Leeds and then West Ham uh, with superiority and clearances with 17 to Leeds 11. Again, similar theme followed still this week. The more touches and passes you have, the more likely you are to win. And then next, the same day, uh, Monday, March 8th, Chelsea hosted Everton. And uh, it was uh, decided in the second half. Um, it was a second half game. Uh, ben Godfrey, which is a center back for Everton, gifted Chelsea an own goal in the 31st minute to put him up 1-0 about 14 minutes before halftime. And like one of the last things that you want to do as a player is give up a goal right before halftime. It's just like a confidence thing. It has a really big effect on um, the player's and like the player's morale before the second half even gets started. Um, if you're giving up a goal right before you go into halftime, it's kind of like a blow to your confidence. It's like, dang, I thought we had him locked in and held off until, you know, the second half we can rest up and go back out there and give him hell, but uh, couldn't do that. And then in the second half, the 65th minute, uh, Chelsea was um, awarded a penalty, and uh, Jorginho, which is the center mid, center defensive mid for Chelsea, he um, comes up clean as you want, puts it in the bottom corner, and they go up 2-0. Um, as far as stats went, Chelsea literally dominated Everton in every single department. Chelsea with a firm hold on possession with 65 to Everton's 35. Chelsea's nine shots are on target to Everton's one shot. And then Chelsea has almost 20 shots to Everton's seven. 882 touches to 521. And they had 713 passes to 369. Um, I honestly just don't know what else to say, man. It just seems like these teams that are having the more possession 
more passes and more touches, they seem to be the winning team in almost every single game. I know soccer can be a very lucky sport. Um, a lot of it has to do with luck, but a lot of it has to do with your persistence and your drive. Like, for example, Leeds United, they're known to be a counterattacking team, so they might win their games, but whenever you check the stats, they're going to be trailing in almost every single department, like almost every single category of uh, statistics. They're going to be behind the team that they're playing just because that's the style they play. It's not a reserved style. It just, they'll sit back, wait for you to attack them, and um, if you're sitting back in your own like half and passing it around they're gonna press you and make you give up a cheap ball and then make you pay for it by scoring on you they're just a relentless tough-nosed team they just do not know how to quit moving up next uh was wednesday's match uh march 10th we had manchester city hosting southampton second half was a goal fest this whole game was a goal fest now that i mentioned it first half man first half was finished 3-1 um kevin de bruyne puts them up in the 15th minute uh for manchester city with a nice goal um and then james ward prowse a uh, center mid for southampton puts him up in the 25th or ties it up at 1-1 in the 25th minute with a penalty um james ward prowse is known to be one of the best free tick free kick takers in the Premier League as well as one of the better set-piece specialists in the Premier League. He's known to be one of the best ever in the Premier League. And after James Ward-Prowse's goal, in the uh, 40th minute, we had Riyad Mahrez put Man City up 2-1. Again, how I was saying before, uh, it's kind of crappy to give up a goal right before the second half and they gave up two goals right before the second half so they had that one goal in the 40th minute from Riyad Mahrez and then Ilkay Gundogan which is uh, another center mid for Manchester City he uh, scores in the 45th minute plus three for injury time so in the 48th minute they scored their third goal to go up 3-1 before halftime and then in the 55th minute, again, Riyad Mahrez uh, with a brace um, puts them up 4-1 against Southampton. Mm. Southampton, one minute later, uh, center forward Che Adams for Southampton scores in the 56th minute, uh, makes it a 4-2 game. And then Kevin De Bruyne, three minutes later in the 59th minute, he uh, bags one more, gives himself a brace, and the uh, game finishes 5-2. Um, again, I've got the stats ready for y'all. Manchester City is leading in almost every single category for offensive stats. Um, goes as follows. 58 possession to Southampton's 42. 10 shots on target to Southampton's 6. 17 shots total to Southampton's 11. 850 touches to... Uh, Southampton 620 and then we have 670 passes for Manchester City to 481 passes for Southampton um, I think that's kind of interesting in itself because um, Manchester City is known to be one of the most possessive based teams in um, the Premier League like they'll they're known to make the extra pass um, even so people will say that they'll make the wrong pass like there's too many passes 
Moving forward, um, Friday, March 12th, we had uh, Newcastle host Aston Villa. Uh, I personally watched this game. This game was uh, really fun to watch up until or until the second, or it wasn't fun to watch until the second half. Like, <laughs> it was a 0-0 game all the way up until the 86th minute, and then both teams start bagging them. It was a ridiculous. Kieran Clark who is a center back for Newcastle, <laughs> gifts Aston Villa a 1-0 lead in the 86th minute with an own goal. You know, not even like he puts his own team ahead. He puts the other team ahead in the 86th minute with an own goal. That's literally the worst feeling as a soccer player, to score an own goal. And it's not even fair. Because you'll get credited for an own goal if uh, you deflect the ball into the net sometimes. It just depends on the interpretation of it. And then in the 90th minute plus four injury time, Jamal Lasles, which is a center back for Newcastle, leaps up into the air and drills one into the back of the net with his head and ties it up. And literally the second that the ball gets brought back to center field, um, the ref blows it for full time. As far as the stats went, we have a pretty pretty split. It's pretty close all the way through. Uh, these were pretty evenly matched teams. They played um, in the exact same formation, uh, a 4-4-2, two banks of four. It's a classic formation for English soccer. Um, Aston Villa takes the edge in just about every category offensively. Um, they had 50.8 possession to Newcastle's 49.2. Uh, doubled Newcastle's shots with six, or double Newcastle's shots on target with six. And um, they had 15 shots to Newcastle's 12. 635 touches to Newcastle's 595. And then 411 passes to Newcastle's 392. Um, they both conceded about 10 fouls each. Again, a pretty evenly matched game. It wasn't decided until the literally last 10 minutes of the match. Again, 86th minute, Kieran Clark own goal, puts Aston Villa up 1-0. And um, J- Jamal Lasselas brings Newcastle back even with a 1-1 draw with a header in the 90th minute, plus four injury time. Moving on, uh, we're on the weekend games now. Saturday morning, we had uh, Manchester City host Fulham. Uh, Fulham's a really tough grit team. Um, Scott Parker is the coach for them. He's known to just run like a really interesting formation, which is a 4-1-4-1. It's just pretty difficult to run. It's a really demanding formation. You need to be perfect with your discipline to be able to run the system effectively. It essentially just traps the other team in the midfield, and they just can't do anything about it. Literally can't do anything. Um, This game was decided in the second half. Uh, every single goal was scored in the second half. Um, John Stones, center back for Manchester City, in the 47th minute, puts them up uh, 1-0 from a Jao Cancelo assist. It was crossed in. John Stones finishes it. Low driven ball. Goal. Goes up 1-0. Moving forward into the 56th minute, nine minutes later, Manchester City goes up 2-0 off of a strike from Gabriel Jesus, which is their um, center forward. He puts them up. He's been in a terrific form here as of late. And then here, some a really interesting piece of news. 
Sergio Aguero played that second half, or at least part of it. And um, he's been on the injuries for so long now. And Manchester City has been missing him. Um, Gabriel Jesus has done a phenomenal job filling in the role for uh, Sergio Aguero. But you you can't fake one of the best strikers in the world, man. If you, if you lose one of the best strikers in the world, your team is going to suffer. I do not care who the backup is. I don't care how much money you spend on a new backup because your guy got hurt. They're not going to be the same. But Sergio Aguero comes on and bags his first goal since he's been back. I think that they were, when I was watching the game, I think they were saying for over like a 100 days or something like that. He's been gone for quite some time for soccer, man. It's like three months. It's pretty big pretty big for a soccer player they're usually not out very long because their injuries aren't very very severe and they always get like the very best of treatment so they'll be back out there very soon but anyways he finishes a pen in the 60th minute uh manchester city goes up three nil and then that was the match that's all she wrote after that as far as the stats went um head to head manchester city again just clearly dominating um, in the offensive category. We've got 54% possession to Fulham's 46. Seven shots on target to Fulham's zero. And I feel bad for Fulham's goalie, Paul Areola. He's a really good goalie. He's an Hispanic goalie. He's a He's just not having a very good season because of his center backs and his back line. Um, Their back line makes so many simple mistakes that are just easy soccer IQ things that they just shouldn't be that shouldn't be happening at this high of level of soccer. But um, I know mistakes can happen, but uh, I don't know when you're in the Premier League. There's no room for errors because every time you make a mistake, the other team's gonna pick up that ball. They're not picking up, but dribble the ball down the field and march right down and put one in you. They're going to score, and you're going to be down a goal, and then you're going to have to claw your way back into the game, and that's never fun. Moving on, we had uh, Manchester City with eight shots total, though, to Fulham's three. None of them were on target for Fulham. 724 touches to Fulham's 632, and then 529 passes to Fulham's 444. Again, Fulham, known as a defensive-minded team, uh, overtook Manchester City in the tackle category uh, with 22 tackles to their 20. But Manchester City had 15 clearances to Fulham's 7. Fulham had four corners to Manchester City's 2. And then Fulham's back line, um, again, with the discipline thing, they were able to... uh, draw in Manchester City on three offside calls. Um, It's all about taking the other team by surprise, I feel like. A lot of these players nowadays, they're just very explosive. Um, They'll be a little bit reserved, but then as soon as the opportunity arises for them to show their superiority and physicality or speed or or just goal finishing, um, they'll save it until the one opportunity arises and they will ball out. And moving on, we're still in the Saturday games, man. Uh, we had Everton hosting Burnley. Burnley is a very, very hungry team right now. Um, they're 
their coach is dealing with a little bit of pressure. Nothing he hasn't faced before, though. But his boys are digging in deep and getting the results that they're really needing right now, which is which are wins, not ties. They really need to get these wins under their belt, catch up on some points. As far as the first half went, uh, finished 2-1 in the first half. That's when the game was decided. Game started and finished in the first half, essentially. Um, the 13th minute striker for Burnley, Chris Wood, um, New Zealand international, scores a beautiful header. Excuse me, a beautiful right-footed goal onto the bottom right corner of the net in the 13th minute. Burnley goes up 1-0. Burnley... 11 minutes later, Dwight McNeil's dribbling in on the left side, sets it up for his right foot, and just whips a nasty ball over the goalie, dips into the net, back corner, phenomenal goal. One of the best finishes I've seen so far this season. And then um, in the 32nd minute, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, winger for Everton, excuse me, striker for Everton, he uh, puts one in for his team to make it a 2-1 game. Uh, as far as the stats go for this match, Everton takes the lead in almost every single offensive stat except for uh, shots and shots on target where they tied and lost by one. They had 65% possession to Burnley's 35 Burnley had five shots on target to their four. Then both teams tied with a total of 14 shots attempted. Everton takes the edge by almost double for the amount of touches with a 730 to Burnley's 470. And then again in passes doubles them completely. Um, 547 passes to Burnley's 291. Burnley with almost 30 clearances for this game. You can tell that they were just sitting back and counterattacking. That's the type of style that they play. They really like to just counterattack, man. They want you to expend, expend yourself full-fledged, just tire your own team out. You just keep on attacking us because we're going to keep on defending it. And eventually, Everton gets tired. And they just can't keep up with their offensive uh, hunger, with uh, Burnley's defensive prowess, man. They just can't compete. Someone has to take the edge eventually. And nine times out of ten, I know in basketball it works like this. Defense does win championships. And um, I'm a firm believer in soccer is defense wins you championships as well. But more so than not, that's a basketball term. And then moving on next, um, I think this was our last game for Saturday. A uh, pretty boring match. Um, Leeds United hosting uh, Chelsea. Um, game finishes 0 0. Uh, player of the match was Edward Mendy. He was a January transfer um, whenever Frank Lampard couldn't keep <laughs> a clean sheet for himself. And right before he got fired, he signed uh, Edward Mendy to Chelsea. But he pervert preserves Thomas Tuchel's unbeaten run. Uh, he pushes it to 10 matches with a goalless draw. Um, even though no one scored, both teams are still awarded a clean sheet, and Edward Mendy, like I said, extends their unbeaten run to 10 matches under the new coach, Thomas Tuchel. As far as the stats go for the match, uh, pretty dominant performance by Chelsea, even though it finished level. Um, they finished with 63% possession, with Leeds 37, uh, they doubled Leeds shots with eight, doubled their shot, uh, doubled their uh, shots on target with uh, eight, and then they um, 
over doubled their shots like their actual attempt shots with 15 to lead seven um 800 touches to leads 540 and then almost 600 passes to leads 300 again they're just dominating the te- the other team in the offensive categories it's just unfortunate that no one was able to strike a goal moving on to sunday's games we start off with manchester united hosting west ham united um second half manchester united gets a corner in the 53rd minute um bruno fernandez whips it in and scott mctominay has like a fading run to the front post like really a cutting run to the front post and just flicks it over everyone's head and gets it into the back post it took a deflection on the way so uh, it was credited a craig dawson own goal because it took two deflections into the net and that's uh, an interpretation for the referee to say whether it was a, sc- a scored goal by Scott McTominay, which is one of our center mids, or if it was an own goal for West Ham. For the stats for this game, Manchester United takes the edge in every single offensive category. They had a 61% possession to West Ham's 38. Manchester United had four shots on target to West Ham's zero. And they also doubled their total shots attempted with 15 shots to West Ham's seven. Uh, They had 843 touches to West Ham's 600. And then they almost had 700 passes to West Ham's 400. And again, like I've been saying since the very first episode, if these teams can show their dominance in the offensive statistics, They'll be able to win the game. It's pretty simple. Moving on to the next game, uh, the second game of First Sunday, they had um, a North London derby, Arsenal hosting Tottenham. In the 33rd minute, Eric Lamella hits a a very nice Rabona kick into the bottom corner of the net and puts Tottenham up uh, 1-0. Halftime comes around. As soon as half time, second half starts, Martin Otegaard, which is a uh, a player that's on loan from Real Madrid right now, uh, ties it up for Arsenal in the 45th minute, right as the second half started. So it's a tie game at 1-1, the second half starts. Arsenal has a little bit of an edge right now because they just put they just scored as soon as the second half started, and um, that probably shook up Tottenham's confidence a little bit. Um, 20 minutes later into the game, Alexander Lacazette, French forward for Arsenal, uh, scores a penalty and uh, finishes the game 2-1 in Arsenal's favor. As far as the stats go, Arsenal had uh, 53% possession to Tottenham's 47. Uh, They tied with shots on target with three, and um, Arsenal doubled Tottenham's total shots taken with 13 to their six. 697 touches to 662 and then uh 519 passes to 482 pretty close offensive game i will say the only reason tottenham probably lost was because eric lamella got a a second yellow for pretty much like accidentally hitting a player in the face trying to like defend his own ball he just put his arm up a little high and it caught the player player sold it a little bit played it up and the referee gave him a second yellow so tottenham had to play a man down the rest of the second half 
And then moving on, we have uh, Leicester City hosting Sheffield United. Um, like I said in the last episode, Sheffield is the worst team in the Premier League right now. They've only won like three games. And they'd have tied like two or something like that. They, they put a beat down on Sheffield. Leicester beats them 5-0. Um, four of the goals scored in the second half. Um, the first goal comes in the 39th minute with uh, Kalichi uh, Nacho. Um, a Nigerian forward scores in the 39th second half gets started Iozi Perez a right wing puts them up in the 64th to make it 2-0 um, 69th minute Ihianacho scores in his second goal which gives him a brace and then he even goes on to score a third goal which gives him his first hat trick for Leicester in the 78th minute and then um, and Ethan Ampadu own goal for Sheffield in the 80th minute puts them up to 5-0 total. As far as the stats went for this game, Sheffield literally barely even did anything. Leicester City had 72% possession to Sheffield's 28, 10 shots on target to Sheffield's 0, 19 shots on <laughs> 19 shots taken to Sheffield's 1, 1000 touches to Sheffield's 400. 800 passes to Sheffield's 300 passes. That is the most one-sided statistical lineup I've ever seen in my entire life. And moving on to the third and final game of the weekend, we had Southampton again playing, uh, hosting Brighton Hove Albion. First half finishes 1-1. Uh, Lewis Dunk, center back for uh, Brighton Hove Albion, puts them up 1-0 off of a corner, assisted by Pascal Gross. Um, and then uh, 11 minutes later, Che Adams goes back right down the field for Southampton and levels it up at 1-1. Um, 20 minutes pass, halftime whistle blows. Second half starts, um, Brighton and Hove Albion's left wing, Leonard, uh, Leandro Trossard uh, is a Frenchman. He dribbles in and has a, a wonderful shot. Um, a curler, back post. And I don't think the goalie had a chance. His positioning was out. As far as the stats go, um, if you had just read the stats, you probably would have assumed that Southampton won the game. Um, 60% possession to Brighton's 40 um, they only had four shots on target to Brighton six, but they overtook Brighton in the total shots with nine to their eight. Um, they beat Brighton in both touches and passes with 690 touches to 535 and 492 passes to 330. And moving on to the final section of this episode, we're going to catch up on the league table after the match week 28. So the top uh, 10 positions all stayed the same after this week. Um, Manchester City still firmly in first with uh, 71 points. Uh, Manchester United (laughs) closing the gap, if you can believe it or not, on Manchester City with uh, 57 points. Leicester's right behind Manchester United with... um, 
56 points. And a good thing to note for these two teams is they have a game in hand against Manchester City. So if Manchester City... Um, can give up like two two games. Man United can bring the gap all the way up to six points instead of 12. Chelsea's in fourth place with uh, 51 points. And um, from fifth place all the way to eighth, it's a pretty close um, race. Every team has um, 28 games played, so they have two games in hand. Um, that's basically six points that they're able to make up if they win both of their games that they're behind on. West Ham in fifth with 48. Everton in sixth with 46th. Spurs in seventh with 45. And Liverpool, in one of the lowest positions I've seen them in a very long time, are in eighth place with 43 points. No chance that they're going to be able to win the league this year like they did last year. That makes me happy. I don't like Liverpool as a Man United fan. But moving on, we have in ninth place, Aston Villa tied with Arsenal with 41 points. Arsenal's in 10th because they have 28 games played. Aston Villa has only played 27 games this season. It's the least amount in the Premier League. So they have three games in hand. That'll give them a total of nine points. So if they won all three of those and all the teams above them like lost or tied, they would put up nine points, which would make them go all the way up to 50 because they have 41 points right now, and if they get up to 50, they would jump from ninth place all the way up to fifth. And moving on, we have in 11th place, jumping ahead um, two spots uh, into 11th, Crystal Palace with 37 points. Leeds is slowly falling down the table. Um, 28 games played with 36 points. Wolves, another team that's slowly dipping off in form. Um, 28 games played with 35 points. Southampton in 14th with 33 points. Burnley ties them with 33 points in 15th place. Brighton goes up to 16th uh, with 29 points. Newcastle gets dropped down to one place above the relegation zone with uh, 28 points. Fulham trying to claw their way out of relegation. Uh, they're in 18th place with 26 points. Um, West Brom, 19th place, 18 points. And like I said in the beginning of the episode, Sheffield still in dead last, only 14 points to their name. That's all I had for this episode. Uh, Thank you guys for listening to episode four. I hope to see you guys again soon.